Well, thanks for being here today when it's so cold, and uh, we welcome all those who are sitting on your couch with a blanket watching us at home, I guess. A little envious of them, aren't you? <laughs> I actually did a wedding yesterday outside. Went really fast, didn't it, y'all? Y'all were there. <laughs> so, a lot of y'all know that in 2021, the NCAA, National Collegiate Athletic Association, um, started to instituted this policy that allows athletes now to start receiving compensation in exchange for sponsors who use their name, image, and likeness, which hence... NIL. So a lot of y'all have heard about that, right? And it has dramatically changed the landscape of, of not only college football, but all of college sports. So let's back up, rewind if we can, just for 10 years or so. And there's a nine-year-old boy named Denhurst Collin, and he's in a local Popeye's fast food restaurant. And he's waiting for his brother and his dad to come out of the bathroom, and a teenager sees him. And he says, hey, you look like this local rapper I know. I'm going to film you. And this kid's kind of stunned. He doesn't know, like, please, dad, brother, come out here. What am I supposed to do? And he starts filming him. And he puts out, um, uh, he uploads this to Vine. If y'all remember Vine, I think Vine has gone away since then. But anyway, this thing gets all of these, uh, you know, hits. And it goes viral. And this is a picture of this, this little kid. And it's not really a positive thing. They're kind of making fun of this kid because he looks kind of like this rapper, but he's this nine-year-old. And so it gets to be put into all these different memes, and it's kind of making fun of the kid. And his family finds out, and they're not real thrilled because he's out there all over the place. And, of course, a nine-year-old kid doesn't feel really good that they're kind of using his face and kind of making fun of him with all these memes. But interestingly, he became known as the Popeye's mean kid. So fast forward back from nine years old, he's 19 years old in 2021, and Colin is one of the latest collegiate athletes to sign an NIL contract. And guess who with? Popeye's. So this is an interesting story. He goes, he's an offensive lineman for Lake Erie College, the Storm, and he got a scholarship, and now he's got an NIL contract to buy Popeye's, the Louisiana kitchen. Um, and I looked up his stats. I saw the memes and all that. And, yeah, he was pretty big at nine, but now he is 6'1 or 6'2", 370, offensive lineman. I'd want him protecting me, wouldn't you? Okay. So, anyway, he's been associated with this brand for a long, long time because, as a young boy, he was captured in that video. But he told CNN, he said, when it happened, we didn't want to be in the spotlight as a family. People were coming up to my dad and saying, hey, we've seen your kid on that meme. But his dad wasn't really thrilled about it because they knew they were kind of making fun of him. And he said, my dad didn't like it. He didn't like for his kids to be joked about. But now the fact that I switched it to a blessing, he actually likes it. So as a teenager, he helped win a state championship for the East Orange Campus High School in New Jersey and was given first-team all-conference honors. And at the conclusion of his freshman year at Lake Erie, he tweeted an affirmation from someone who suggested that Popeye should, in fact, give him an NIL contract. And a few days later, he had it. So you can go to their, um, uh, and I don't know all these things. I have to ask my kids about these. But you go to their Twitter page, and sure enough, there's a spot of him talking. This is what he does. He, um, 
he actually has these little words of affirmation as, is, as if he's talking to his younger self. And it says this. He says, this is where the, star, the story started, the moment that made us a meme. We didn't ask for it, but don't worry, little man. We didn't let it stop us. We learned to lean in. We turned the attention into motivation and the motivation into championships from memes to dreams. And that's kind of a cool story. Now, I like stories like that because somebody, a teenager, is filming this kid. And he really doesn't mean it for good things. It's a a way to make fun of this kid. And this kid doesn't know what's going on. But in the process of that, something good comes out of it. And I think all of us like those kind of stories. Because when someone does something and doesn't do it for good purposes, but to ridicule or to harm someone else, and yet something good comes out of it anyway... That always inspires us, doesn't it? We like it when people rise up from that stuff. And the person that this happens to can always look back and say, yeah, that was a bad thing. Somebody meant to harm me, but God took it in that situation and made it into something good. So today I want us to relate that story to one of my favorite Bible characters, Joseph from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis. And Joseph... If you know this story, if you don't, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it a little bit, but get into what I really want us to see. But Joseph had some really bad things happen to him, starting as a young man. And some of them were deliberately done to him by his own brothers, by his own family, and it really hurt him. Now, I don't have time, like I said, to go into the whole story, but Joseph, at a young age, had this gift from God to be able to take dreams of other people and interpret them. Now, as a young man, he wasn't quite developed yet, and he would come to the breakfast table and go, hey, I had this dream last night, and all of y'all were bowing down to me. Well, if you're his brothers, you really don't want to hear that. But they started to develop a resentment for him. Even before this, um, there's a pretty uh, a lot of dysfunction going on in this family. His father, Jacob, made all the other brothers know he's my favorite. He's the youngest, he's my favorite, and they gave him this special robe. And every time they saw Joseph wearing this special robe, and we know of it as the um, many-colored coat, um, they resented him. Dad likes him the best. We don't like him. He's always talking about these dreams, and we're bowing down to him. They wanted to get rid of him. But Jacob's parents also played favorites, if you know about his parents as well. So this dysfunction has passed on for generation to generation. Isaac and Rebekah had favorites with Jacob and Esau. So Joseph's brothers resented him. They had this intense hatred for Joseph. So one day they decide, they see him coming and it's out in the wilderness and they go, we're going to kill him. And one of the brothers goes, whoa, yeah, I don't like him either, but we don't need to kill him. Let's just throw him in this cistern and maybe sell him or something. But he was going to go back and get his brother, rescue him later. But they end up selling their brother into slavery to some merchants that come by to Egypt. Then they go home and they tell their dad that a wild animal killed him. They take his coat and soak it in all kind of uh, 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 wild animal's blood and say, hey, I guess the wild animals killed him because all we found was this coat. And his dad, of course, Jacob is devastated and thinks that his son is dead. And they play along with this for 20 years that their son is gone. Now, can you imagine hating a family member so much that you would want to kill them or get rid of them forever? Don't answer out loud. (laughs) Now, we're all laughing, but this story is really not funny, is it? If that was you and your brothers, your family sold you off, wanted to kill you, how do you think that made him feel? So Joseph had a lot of time as he 
to think about all these things that led up to this moment. And he's about 17 years old when this happens, y'all. And Genesis, I think it's interesting. When we think about Genesis, we think about the creation story, right? There's a lot in Genesis about all of the creation and, and Abraham and all of that. But it's interesting to me, the last 13 chapters of Genesis are dedicated to this Joseph and his story and how he went from 17-year-old being sold into slavery to the governor of Egypt and all these things that happened. 13 chapters. I think God wants us to learn something from Joseph. So we're going to look at this. And if you've never read those, I encourage you, chapters 37 through 50 in Genesis, they detail what happens through Joseph's life. And it's fascinating and it's inspiring. So I encourage you to read that. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of this. But Joseph goes through some more difficult situations even as he goes to Egypt. And most of these are no fault of his own. They're evil people who are trying to do things to Joseph. And in every case, Moses, who's the writer of Genesis, writes this little phrase that we see all throughout those 13 chapters. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord, he just keeps slipping this in in all these little places in those 13 chapters. So we see the Lord is with Joseph, even though these bad things are happening. Each bad situation eventually led Joseph to be able to use his God-given ability to interpret dreams to bring about good and to point people to God. It wasn't about Joseph and this ability and bringing all that to him, but it was about, no, God gave me this ability for a reason to do good things in this world. So we fast forward 20 years, and now Joseph is not 17, but he's 37, and he was sold by his brothers, and now he's the governor of the land of Egypt during this incredibly bad famine in the land. And because of him being able to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams, he's going ahead and, and making all these plans of how they're going to deal with the famine during this time. And his brothers eventually here, they've got grain in Egypt. We got nothing over here in Canaan. We've got to go and get grain. And so they do. So this leads up to the passage we're going to read today. So we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 42, verses 6 through 21. And listen, as Joseph has this encounter with his brothers after 20 years. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. And so when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered about he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lived in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. They're still living the lie, aren't they? He is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison. 
so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go back and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. So this they proceeded to do, and they said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come back on us. So these brothers and Joseph are both looking back, aren't they? They remember this day when he was 17 years old. They remember what happened, and it's becoming more vivid to them. And the difference is, is that Joseph has always looked back on that day and wondered why. Why would they do this to me? But he has been moving forward ever since because the Lord was with him. And his brothers have looked back too, but it's obvious as we see going through these passages, they have not moved forward. They've always been looking behind their back. That jealousy, that anger, that hatred to get him out of the family because that'll solve everything if we can just get rid of of Joseph, 20 years of grief for their fathers, thinking that his son is dead. 20 years of shame and guilt for these brothers and their evil deed. Anytime Joseph name, Joseph's name comes up, they are reminded. 20 years of missing their brother because of their choices. 20 years of continuing this lie. Yeah, he got killed by an animal, not only to your father, but to others. Whatever happened to your brother Joseph? Oh, he got killed by a wild animal. They're continuing to live this lie. 20 years of wondering, where is Joseph now? What is he doing? 20 years of going, what if he comes back? What if he gets revenge on us? And in this text, Joseph is always looking back too. It says he remembers, he remembers that day when he was 17. And you know what? Revenge is an option for Joseph. God is with him, but guess what? He's human, isn't he? Yes, he has this incredible gift God's given him to be able to interpret dreams, but guess what? He still is a hurt and wounded brother. And so even with God bringing him all this success in everything that he does, he is this hurt, wounded brother who's looking back. And for quite some time, it appears to be several weeks in chapters 42 through 45, Joseph struggles through what to do. I mean, he makes his brothers jump through a lot of hoops. They're in prison for three days, and he's thinking, should I just kill them? Nobody here's going to care. Nobody here's going to care at all if I kill them. I'll tell them what they did, and they go, good riddance. But Joseph doesn't. He sends them back with grain, and then he sticks their money back in their bags, if you want to read all that part. And then he even puts his own silver cup, and they look in and go, oh, no, we've got to go back. And they're just they're in turmoil. But ultimately, he has the power to do whatever he wants with them. But he makes a decision. He chooses and allows himself and them to move forward. So we're going to go to uh, chapter 45 and read, and read verses 1 through 11. So the brothers are back with him again. And it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It is, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified 
at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen to be near me. You and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide, you, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. So Joseph is looking back at me. He is certainly looking back. And yes, he remembers and he sees the evil and the anger and the hatred towards him that literally changed his whole life. But he chooses to move forward, not backwards. And he does that by grace. He does that by incredible forgiveness. Not with evil, not with anger, not with revenge. And the Lord had taught Joseph a lot as he looked back. And he knew and acknowledged. He goes, look, God's done this, y'all. You thought you were doing it, but God has done this. God sent me ahead of you to save lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe God wants all of us to look back in our lives on the things where we were hurt, and we, He wants us to have that same attitude, doesn't He? It doesn't mean we pretend it didn't happen, because a lot of us have been wounded by no fault of our own. People have hurt us. It doesn't mean we pretend it doesn't happen, but we look back and say, where does all that lead? if we're like the brothers. Unfortunately, Joseph's brothers, even after this amazing grace, maybe they think Joseph is just saying this, but he says, no, I know what you did, and it hurt me. It still hurts, but God sent me ahead for the saving of many lives. So I forgive you. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. But they still are looking backwards, not moving forward to tell the truth, not moving forward, having been forgiving and changing their outlook and changing their behavior, but still using lies and deception to try to manipulate the situation. Listen in the last chapter of Genesis what happens. So Jacob has passed away and the brothers think, oh, he's going to get us back now. Dad's dead. So when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father, Jacob didn't say this, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Why does Joseph weep? Joseph weeps because he goes, You guys just don't get it. I sincerely forgive you. I've forgiven you. I've brought you here. I've, I've brought dad here. Dad has passed. I've told you I was going to take care of you. I've proven that by having you come here. You've been taken care of and you still are looking back and you can't look forward. You can't live differently. What's wrong with you? And his brothers then came and they threw themselves before him. We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, 
don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Is this guy not amazing? In all this grace and all this forgiveness, they still are looking back thinking of everybody acts in revenge. Everybody uses hatred. But not Joseph because Joseph has been changed. He has been transformed because the Lord was with him and he was with the Lord. And again, Joseph knows how to look back and move forward. He has been with God. God has been with him. And he learned from God and how to see and reflect the character of God. God's not a God of vengeance. God is a a God of grace and love and mercy. And Joseph doesn't talk about it. He actually does it. And guess what? Till the end of his days, Joseph never got his brothers back. He was kind to them. He did take care of them. So please... Get that message today and know how to look back and move forward. I want to close with this illustration. In 1958, Mao Zedong, a lot of y'all remember that dictator's name and some awful things that went on in China during that time. But in 1958, he ordered, this is the craziest thing to me, he ordered the extermination of every sparrow in China. Every sparrow in China needs to be killed was his thing. As part of the Chinese Communist Party's notorious Great Leap Forward, the public health effort called for the elimination of these four um, things. Rats, flies, malaria-ridden mosquitoes, and sparrows, because sparrows are eating grain and seed and fruit. And a propaganda poster had they had out at the time showed um, a... Uh, Uh, It says, exterminate the four pests. And it had these four pests that were impaled on like a shish kebab. And were sitting so everybody would see this. He goes, yeah, we've got to get rid of these four things. And another poster had a boy aiming his slingshot at a sparrow. And urged on by their leaders, people started shooting sparrows all over the place. Literally thousands of sparrows were being killed. They hunted down and destroyed their nests. They even got children to bang pots and pans whenever they saw a sparrow and chase them. And they would get so exhausted that they would finally just fall to the ground and die. So within a year, the sparrow population in China had been decimated, pushed to almost extinction. And at first, it seemed like the plan had worked. But the problem was, sparrows don't just eat seeds and fruit. They also eat a species of shorthorn grasshopper known as locust. So with their natural predator gone, guess what happens to the locust population? It skyrockets, and hordes of ravenous grasshoppers sweep through the countryside, devouring everything in their path and contributing significantly to what was called the Great Chinese Famine. And by 1961, tens of millions of Chinese peasants would be dead, starved to death by a tragic convergence of economic mismanagement and ecological imbalance. Now, I'm not telling you that to be a a tree hugger, as some people call them. But you see what happens? Joseph's brothers thought, if we can just get rid of the problem, Joseph, everything will be okay. If we can just get rid of the sparrows in China, everything will be okay. But they weren't operating by being with God, by being with the Lord. They're operating outside of that. 
But you see, Joseph's brother thought they could eliminate, and that would fix the family problem. But it created in their lives a spiritual and emotional famine of sorts that left them empty. It left them empty and distanced from their own father, Jacob, and from their heavenly father and from Joseph, their own brother. And I think about us today. What do we in our lives need to look back on? What do we need to look back on and take Joseph's perspective and move forward instead of the vindictive type of reflection that his brothers made? To move forward not only with God, but move forward with and in our relationships. You see, Joseph moved forward with forgiveness and grace. And through God's grace, through Jesus Christ, we also have that opportunity to move forward. So today we're going to give that opportunity as we always do. Maybe there's somebody here today and you have maybe connected with this story of Joseph and his forgiveness and his grace, but that comes from God and his character. And ultimately we think about that same story of Joseph that's so important in the very first book of the Bible ends up coming full circle in Jesus because Jesus was put on a cross by his brothers and his sisters. And how did he respond? by dying for us and rising again and say, I still want relationship with you. I know you think I want revenge on you, but I don't. I want relationship with you forever. And so Jesus died for us and gave us that opportunity. So maybe there's somebody here today that needs to make that decision. I'm going to ask the, the praise team to come on up, and they're going to lead us in a, a song. And uh, if you have a decision today, I'm going to be right here try to walk you through it. But for the rest of us, I want us just to to really contemplate and think about what we've heard today in light of Jesus and his sacrifice right before we take communion. We're going to do that. If you're here today, we take communion every week. And uh, if you're not a member of our church, that's okay. If you're a believer and would like to participate, we'll be passing that out a little bit later. But I'm going to ask you all to stand, and they're going to lead us in this song, and then we'll walk through uh, our time of communion in just a minute.